0: everybody, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in and all the details of the characters, concept, things, places, stuff from over there in that galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, my name is Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow Red Blade enthusiast, Ross.
1: Mac, as always, great to see you tonight. We have a few really fun topics we're mm-hmm. going to talk about. Well, more downright evil and dastardly than fun, necessarily. It's
0: going to get
1: dark. It is. It's going to feel a little dark, but hey, people seem to like that. So the first topic we're going to talk about (laughs) is Darth Vader in the dark times. Basically, the period of time between episode three and episode four, the reign of the empire when evil ruled supreme throughout the
0: galaxy. What was Darth Vader doing during all those times? Here at the height of his power. (laughs) Oh. It's good. We're also going to talk about the other side of that. We're going to talk about the military viewpoint that created the emperor's control over many, many, many places. Tarkin laid it out in what's called the Tarkin Doctrine, the sort of political manifesto in many ways of the new
1: empire. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that coming from James Luceno's book, Tarkin. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we're going to head on over and talk about a relatively new concept in the world of Star Wars bleeding the kyber crystal which has uh, come about in a few different instances in new star wars canon with a couple of our different main characters so we're going to talk about that
0: yeah you know what it's going to be a really interesting episode i don't want to say fun because we go through some really dark yeah. stuff as usual I'm and as mention. i know we're going to get into spoilers we're going to be talking about a lot of darth vader's stories so just be prepared for that but otherwise i hope you enjoy what's about to happen up in the high rises of Coruscant we see the mask come down click into place and the raspy breathing begins Lord Vader is pushed up onto his feet and awkwardly stumbles forward ripping his restraints off with his newfound might of his cybernetic limbs and then in a fit of rage learning that his wife had been killed by him he reaches out with the dark side crushing droids in the entire room as his master cackles on and from that moment lord vader is born as the cyborg we know him
1: and from that point on vader goes on to have a whole lot of wacky kooky adventures around the galaxy just chopping people in half and throwing guards off of you know cliffs and just uh, obliterating countless amounts of star destroy you know ships fighter ships and
0: Oh, just killing people left and right. He is just, it's just crazy. Yeah, Vader goes around and just has a, well, let's just call it what it is. We're topic now is Vader in the Dark Times, and they are dark, and he is doing his best to make sure that they earn up to that name.
1: He sure is. He really is the poster child for the Dark Times. Now, if you're asking yourself why is it called or referred to as the Dark Times, well, that is because... That's how Obi-Wan first describes it to us in episode four. That's how we hear it, right? Mm-hmm. Before the Empire, before the Dark Times, right? I mean, I flipped those. It's the other way around. But
0: yeah, you get the but idea. It's the whole idea that <laughs> a beautiful light in the galaxy has gone on as the Republic has been shuttered and turned yeah. into the Empire. Yeah. And the
1: Empire reigns supreme at this point, you know. There's uh, these little rebellion cells that'll eventually pop up to challenge it. But, you know, the Empire kind of rises swiftly and powerfully. And a lot of that is thanks to the work Vader does in those 19 years for his master. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. So we actually are going to pick right back up. There is a uh, about 24-issue run of a comic book called Darth Vader... Mm-hmm. um darth vader uh did they call this one dark lord of the sith i can't remember it does have it, a subtitle i think it i think that was the subtitle it's basically volume two of the marvel yeah run. it's the second darth vader run so the uh first run of darth vader takes place in between episodes four and five the second run of darth vader takes place immediately after episode three mm-hmm. and then at the time of recording this the current third run of darth vader <laughs> takes place between episodes five and six Right. So that's where we're at. So we're going to pick up where Mac described. We're Mm -hmm. in Vader's chamber. He has just been assembled for the first time. All of his limbs have clicked into place. He's Mm -hmm. learned of Padme's death. He's screaming out his epic, long, uh, deep, boisterous... No...
0: Which you'll hear and repeated in Return of the Jedi.
1: As the, oh yes, he will. And as the Emperor laughs, Vader takes him and with his rage slams the Emperor telekinetically into the wall. Uh, you know, yelling at the Emperor. You know, you promised to save Padme, and he, you know, is feeling this pain. This all of the things that Yoda and Obi Wan warned him about. Warned him about from the dark side. You know the anger and the suffering and all that stuff uh it's all coming to pass he's feeling it now in this moment um i think kind of in a finite way and this is when he sort of accepts his destiny you know up until that moment on mustafar he really could have still you know come back and chosen well, a different think... path but now he's kind of all in
0: i think the way we would describe it is he's had multiple chances to avoid his fall and the tragedy of anakin skywalker is the fact that he can't escape his destiny. He was destined to become this figure because whether it's when he killed all those Tuscan Raiders, cause of his mom and he felt terrible and he reached out to say, you know, am I a terrible person for that? You know, he tried to redeem himself and then he tries to join the council and he tries to accept the mission of spying on the emperor. And he kind of fails at that. And then he does the right mm-hmm. thing of telling Base Window that the emperor is the dark Lord we've been looking for. And he fails at that. Well, not only but- that,
1: hold on. I want to call out that one moment real quick. Because this is such a big moment because it's the start of Anakin's fall. We know that. But not only that, when Anakin and Mace are in that moment, you know, when Palpatine is kind of laying there after his lightning has gone out, you know, Mace wants to execute him. And Anakin goes, that's not the Jedi way. And he's right. Anakin is making the same decision that Luke makes in episode six there by saying, no, this is not the right move. And he literally stops him from doing that. He stops him from taking a life. Right. And now, obviously, in that moment, Anakin realizes, you know, after the fact that he's
0: made a mistake.
1: But in the moment, he was
0: following his Well, he's his absorbed calling. for a second seeing his fallen yeah. friend at knife point, basically, by Mace Windu. He has not seen the entire fight really up to this point. Exactly. To... His own... So by the time that Mace Windu is... Chucked out of window, thrown to the streets of Coruscant, <laughs> so Boba Fett can go and shoot him in the head. Fan theory, you can have fun with that. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned it before. Anyway, by the time Vader, you know, Emperor goes like power, I it in power, and he's like, oh, might have been a mistake. Um, but I'm either- feeling really, I'm feeling really bad about things, and maybe I've made a mistake. Yeah. Well, rise, Lord Vader. Uh, Lord that's my new name I mean okay I know I've screwed up here and I'm feeling pretty anguished but like I mean I'm not I'm not a terrible person yet go kill those kids why am I saying yes to that well because the Jedi because the point of the matter is when when Mace is thrown out the window Anakin feels he's given his last gasp to justice and that the Jedi way and at that moment he's like no everything I believed in was wrong and at this point I have only one path. I'm going to do whatever this dude says because he says he can save my wife. And that is my wife and my unborn child are the only thing I have left now, now that the Jedi are already dismantled. If I'm killing kids at the Jedi Temple, it is just making true what I already believe in my heart. And that's what gets us back to Anakin's throwing Palpatine against the wall of like, we had a deal. I had one thing that was keeping me together. Mm -hmm. One thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And, of course, the
1: Emperor basically is able to swat him away with the Force, saying, Well, here's the deal, Vader. You can either take this gift of pain that you now have and turn it into power, or I can kill you. Your choice. Well, I guess, what kind of choice is that, right? So, Vader yeah. accepts his, uh, his you know, path place. that's laid out in front of him now, his place by the Emperor's side... And his first task is given to him. He needs to find his own lightsaber. And Vader, of course, is wondering, well, why can't I just go take one of the sabers from the Jedi Temple? You know, because Vader is here on Coruscant being repaired and Palpatine takes him outside and shows him the clones are burning all of the sabers from the temple. And we see them go up in flame and kind of explode as the kyber crystals inside them ignite. And uh, it's this really interesting moment because it's the first time we learn about this sort of canonical ritual of a Sith going to take their own lightsaber from a Jedi. Yeah. So the Emperor leads Vader to a planet where he basically drops him off and says, good luck, go find a Jedi, get a lightsaber and come back. And when they arrive on the planet, he's like, well, there was a transport here for you, but Yes, it was stolen. This is why we need that law and order I've been talking about so much. <laughs> and Vader just sets off across the desert looking for uh, you know, his next step. So he finds his way, uh, you know, finds his lost transport, kills the people who took it, and basically sets off across the galaxy for a ser- you know, his search for a Jedi. He makes his way to an old Jedi outpost where he's confronted by some clones. And of course, you know, the clones are on his side. He could just you know, give them his clearance and commit them to stand down. But instead,
0: he just kills them because, you know, he's Vader. And he doesn't have a lightsaber, well, but that doesn't stop him. The thing we see through here is something that's been <laughs> echoed in other stories about Vader um, post-Episode 3, which is this is a man who is just a rage machine. He is in pain constantly. His amputations don't heal right. Yeah. His cybernetics don't hook up quite he's right still learning he's still understanding it he's still beginning to feel it his lungs still have the smoke and mm-hmm. ash of mustafar in them permanently he can only see the world through this red raging like window of his eyes like yeah he is just absolutely nothing but surviving on the pain and anguish that he's holding he has nothing else he has no hope and it, this is all that's left of him So he
1: uses that pain and anger that he has to drive him through these clones, killing them, finding his way into this computer system and essentially doing an archive search for any jedi that have taken what is called the bearish vow and now this is something that was introduced for the first time here in this story this is uh basically a concept that a jedi who wants to remove themselves from the order they want to remove themselves from you know the uh, political nature and the militaristic nature of the jedi and basically want to devote themselves to being impartial and just instead be a steward of the force. So it's essentially like leaving the order, sometimes temporarily, sometimes permanently, uh, and, you know, being outside of the news cycle, it's like, essentially. It's you're like you're out of the newsletter. It's a spiritual retreat. It and kind the closest, of is. It kind of is like a sabbatical. And I think I would Except
0: say, Chirrut from uh, Rogue One is like the closest we've seen to the idea of like a monkish- not yeah. polarized uh, light side, dark side view of the force. Yeah. The, the
1: kind of only difference here I'd point out, at least as far as we know, because this could always change later. Canonically is that the bearish vow is taken by someone who has already been yes. anointed to the Jedi order, but same concept, someone who's serving a purpose, some serves the will of the force, but does not have
0: force. a do du- is trying to escape the dualistic idea of yes. light and dark that there's just the force. Absolutely.
1: So, through his searching, he is able to find the name Kirik Infila. Now, this is a Jedi who we've never heard before, so don't worry, that is not a name you should know. And Vader basically is able to, you know, he finds out the location of this Jedi, where he is last known, uh, through this Jedi archive that he has broken into. And basically, Vader makes his way to the moon where the Jedi is at. Uh, now he, here we now learn who this Jedi is and we find out that this is a Jedi who in his time in, whether you want to call it exile or contemplation, meditation, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. this is a Jedi who has devoted essentially his entire life to study combat and the way the force affects him and his ability to essentially hone his physical body and his, you know, Again, well, a monkish combat skills through the force, I guess. A monkish, less anthropomorphized view of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So this Jedi, really, really, you know, kind of classic, uh, uh, you know, old man samurai look to him, uh, and you know, he's uh, other than the fact that he's kind of shirtless and totally buff, but <laughs> uh, you know, definitely kind of, you know, like the, the the top knot and the the graying hair, and you know, definitely been around for a while. And when he sees Vader, he. Um, You know, he's like, well, you know, okay, you want to fight me, we can fight, you got to come get me. I've been, you know, I've been uh, waiting for this moment, you know, now is my time, I'm being called back into the order and my duty is to, you know, defeat you essentially is what he says. So he says, okay, you come meet me on top of the mountain where I stay and we'll fight. And so he makes his way up the mountain and as Vader follows him, These uh, the, the Jedi pulls away these doors and this rush of flood water, you know, this water comes mm-hmm. pouring out, rips away these doors to this dam and essentially attempts to crush Vader. But Vader, even though he does get caught up in it for a second, is able to sort of part the water and make his way out of the shore, uh, only sustaining minor damage. And then later on, he's attacked as he makes his way up the mountain by some giant birds, but is eventually <laughs> yeah. actually able to crush them with the force. So eventually, you know, the Jedi kind of says, OK, no more tricks. Come on up here. And it's just the Jedi and his lightsaber training droid left, who I think I didn't write it down, but I think the droid's name was something like Rx. Yeah. Something like that. And, um... It's been a couple. I read these at the very beginning of quarantine. So I'm trying to summarize and, you know, read the notes I took from back then as best I can.
0: The whole thing about it is like, yeah, he's fighting off this Jedi and he's it's his first fight as the cybernetic being as he is. There's parts where parts of the cowling is getting ripped off and he's just got the mechanical legs and arms. Yeah, you can see his like knee joints exposed for most of it you know, for up until this point, he doesn't really have a lightsaber he's attuned to. So it's like fighting with a secondhand weapon and he's just getting used to what does the force feel like throwing it through this corrupted body. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Vader, you know, he meets the Jedi on top
1: of the mountain here and they begin their duel. Now Vader doesn't have a saber. So he steals the training droids, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not even a saber that's not even deadly. It's just, uh, you know, it's just a training saber. And so they begin this fight, but Vader's knee gives out. And essentially the Jedi is able to force throw him off the top of this mountain and, you know, splat, you know, Vader falls and uh, loses consciousness for a time. But when he awakes, even though he's in pieces, literally, Literally. he uses the the remains of his body and the remains of the training droid that he had also thrown off the mountain earlier uh, and basically telekinetically puts himself back together, makes his way back up the mountain. They begin another duel, which inevitably ends when Vader, uh, they're dueling on top of a dam. Vader sees some security guards and throws them over the side of the dam. Mm -hmm. Keirik grabs them with the force. And in this moment, you know, Vader realizes he can use this against him. So he pulls away the floodgates. All of these people are about to be washed away by this flood down below. And while the Jedi is trying to control the water, Vader uses the force to snap his neck and take his lightsaber. Yep. And that is how Vader gets his first
0: lightsaber.
1: Wow. Yeah. And
0: actually, later in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about why it has significance. But moving on from that, Vader has his first red blade. He yes. he has his first lightsaber, and he builds a sort of loosely out of the mold of his original lightsaber, yes. except... It's the dark and evil version.
1: So now he's feeling a little bit more complete. He's been healed up fully. His suit's got a few... uh adjustments, and now he's ready to kind of go on to his next big adventure, which is essentially the discovering of the Inquisitor program, the Inquisitorius. So, uh, you know, we're not going to go into all the details here, but basically Vader learns of a break-in at the Jedi Temple. He goes to the library to find another person with a red blade there. They begin a duel, Mm -hmm. and even though they fight for a few minutes, Vader reveals that he was just testing out his new body, And, uh, you know, quickly overwhelms and destroys the lightsaber of the man he's fighting, Mm -hmm. who he's about to kill when all of a sudden the Emperor appears and tells Vader that they're on the same side. This is a man by the name of the Grand Inquisitor, someone who we'll meet later on. So this is actually their first meeting, which is kind of interesting. Uh, We'll talk about why in a minute. But we have this new character now introduced, and this is Vader learning of the Inquisitor program. He goes to, he's taken to a place called the Works, which is a section on Coruscant, yep. where he learns of all of the other current Inquisitors, people in the program, mostly fallen Jedi, who during the Purge turn to the dark side. And were then recruited or you know taken into the program. And so Vader is going to spend a lot of adventures you know in some of the content we have. Let's just talk about a few of the big adventures yeah. they'll go on with the Inquisitors. So one of the ones I want to call out mm-hmm. is they go down to hunt Eeth Koth, mm-hmm. who is a Jedi that we know and are familiar with. And it's an adventure where uh, they find him and they find that he has a child and yeah. Vader is with an Inquisitor. And basically, the Inquisitor steals the baby, Vader kills Eath, and yep. they make their way off with a with a baby. There's one really cruel moment in it where the mom thinks she is escaping with the va- the baby. She thinks the Inquisitor let her go. I, I wish I could remember which Inquisitor it was. And as they're flying away, as the door is closing, the Inquisitor uses the force to rip the baby away from the mother and pulls it back down to the landing platform where she's standing as the mother flies away. And it's just this like really specifically cruel well, dark side moment. I think it's worth calling out. Well, the
0: thing about the Inquisitorium is, um, from everything we've seen from it, and there's there's details we get, like if you play through Jedi Fallen Order, you get to learn a lot more about Mm -hmm. that organization and what it does to people. But it's essentially, Vader is echoing all that hate into these young candidates. He is making them the cruel monsters. They are not getting a nice childhood and then going to go fall. No, they are being crafted out of hate and pain and evil. Like it's straight up evil. Like they're, they're embellishing the fact of evil. It's like, no, you're an instrument of peace and justice, which means that when you go and fight these things, it has to be without mercy because this order can't be, weak hearts can't make this order happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the I think the summation we see is, it's It's also a very dark reflection of his time with Ahsoka. This is, this is Anakin as a master. This is him having a crew of padawans and what he would do with them with his newfound identity. And the identity is to be the worst kind of <laughs> mentor possible. Just a slave-driving, mm-hmm. torture-rearing monster. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily... There, there's not a
1: lot that guides us towards guides me towards this thought exactly but basically this is when Vader first realizes in my opinion that he is going to try and take on his own apprentice and one yes. day overthrow the emperor you know he he is already starting that mindset of i can overthrow the empire and take over this galaxy still
0: and by the time of rebels where we got to see a lot of the Inquis- inquisitors the sad part is and by this point everyone including the grand inquisitor has been deceived unworthy of that role Mm -hmm. and so they live in existence knowing they are second class sith oh yeah all the way
1: they will never be true sith they will never be
0: truly in the club and their general job is along with purge forces is to continue order 66 yeah that's their job they're
1: hunting down jedi and padawans and any potential force sensitive children either to bring them into the inquisitor program or to kill them yep And that's it. I mean, you know, that is what the Inquisitors do. And we see many instances of it, both in comics and in video games and in books and more to come, I'm sure, because they are quite popular.
0: We only have one Black Series
1: Inquisitor figure so far.
0: Well, and they're an important part of the dark times because they basically only exist there. By the Mm -hmm. time we get to like the Battle of Hoth, they've been basically dismantled in one way or another. Yeah,
1: it's fun because it's this kind of new thing added into Star Wars exclusive to the disney era you know yes. rebels season one is where this theory or the idea of the inquisitors premiered this is all added in after yeah we see so like... it's kind of fun this thing that is like wholly new canon that is now spread through all these different sources and in my opinion, is a fan favorite. People really seem oh, sure. to like Inquisitors and that there are different Inquisitors. And in, in the Vader comic we're talking about specifically, we see Inquisitors who only survive of you know, maybe one mission or one sparring session. And so you know, it's not just the couple we see in the animated
0: shows. Yeah, the, the brothers and sisters in the Grand Inquisitor are very interesting figures. And like we said, by the time of New Hope, the Purge has been so successful, there's not a lot of work for them. And then on top of that... Their lifespans are not very long to begin with. Yeah, you got Cal Kestis running around, you know,
1: well, cutting people down. Uh, cr- yes, I mean... I don't think he ever actually cuts
0: any of them down, does he? I don't... Well, I, we don't want to too many spoilers. So, uh, let's just broaden this out a little bit. Vader has some weird... The Dark Times are a fairly nebulous time where a lot of stories are happening at oh, this happens between negative uh, 19 before the Battle of Yavin and negative uh, one Battle of Yavin. Well, where? Definitely somewhere in there. Yeah. Probably. Like, it's kind of loose. So let's hit some of the other highlights of current canon, um, you know, some of the big picture stuff. So forms the Inquisition, and that firmly sort of establishes what Vader's day-to-day job, if you will, mm-hmm. is. Exactly. My job is, I am the leader of my master's dark forces, the Inquis- Inquisition being some of the only people that really understand that Siths are on top of the pile here in the Galactic Empire. My other job is I am an important figure in the Imperial military forces. Now, we should talk about real quick one oh. other interesting
1: Vader moment related to exactly that. Sure. So there's a great moment in the comic books where Vader believes the Emperor has plotted a coup against him. Basically, the Emperor, he believes, sent bounty hunters after him who were very capable as a test. He right. confronts the Emperor. The Emperor says, no, I don't test. I only teach. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know what the Emperor teaching is like. That has got to be scary. But basically this leads Vader to realize that it's probably this officer in the Imperial Navy who doesn't mm-hmm. like me being in control of him because I'm not actually in the ranks. And this leads to basically a, the Emperor gathering every officer in the new sort of Imperial Navy to mm-hmm. to, to together. In a room in front of Vader. And the Emperor basically says, hey, Vader is second only to me. He is my voice. You listen to him as if he's me. Yeah. And that's final. And then Vader calls up five officers and says, anytime there is an attempt on my life, I will execute five officers at random. And then he kills them. Mm -hmm. Now, one of whom he suspects is the one who attempted to assassinate him, but he's not even sure. (laughs) That's just, you know, kind of in that moment Vader. That's the Vader we're talking about here. it's about fear. A Vader who is so brutal and so unforgiving, he will keep you alive or in his presence as long as he needs you or you can give him something. And after that, he just doesn't care. Right. And he'll only let you live if he can use you again. And that's who this Vader is. Now, that takes us through a lot of this Vader comic book. And we have a couple of vader novels or i should say novels that feature vader and those are tarkin dark lords of the sith mm-hmm. and thrawn alliances right so mac why don't you start by telling us a little bit about vader in the tarkin novel well so tarkin
0: kind of shows us a lot about obviously will of tarkin but yeah, he is the um, main character the the and if you want more details about that we did that in an episode at some point yeah, this did. year um sure The thing that we do see is just how the Empire is constructed. We see the decommissioning of all the, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the independent systems, the Confederacy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And this leads to showing us a few things again about the day-to-day operations of Vader. Vader's job is, Vader is the Empire's boogeyman. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. a mission seems like... We need to instill fear or no one else can seem to do it. This force wrecking ball, this personal pet and attack dog of the emperor is sent out. And Tarkin ends up having a strange relationship with it, with it. And I'll say, yeah, uh, in the sense that Tarkin's one of the only people maybe in the entire galaxy who does not fear Vader because he sees Vader as the tool that he is. He sees the emperor's value in this creature Um, because Tarkin also believes that ruling by fear is the best way to take care of stuff. Um, and we see some of the things with, uh, Vader, like we see his meditation chamber, the, the additional stuff he has to do just to stay alive. Um, we get to see how he interacts with the military forces. We start to get to see the fact that he is mellowing in a little bit of a way to what he is like there's a certain lack of agency. I think you see in Tarkin that you don't see in that Vader comic book series in the sense of Vader is told to be here. Why? Cause my emperor told me to be here. Well, what do you think about it? I don't think about it anymore. I am a weapon. I am a tool. I just do what he asks me of me. Um, which plays at odds. I think with later stuff, we've been seeing more of the fact of the, uh, again, the, I'm secretly planning against the master because I have to, that's the Sith way. <laughs> um, and Tarkin's also a little bit weird because Tarkin's also the very first piece of canon um, in existence past the original movies and the two TV shows. Um, at least in, oh God, how long ago was that? 13 2013? 2013 so. when we came up? I think um, so. Boy. And so I guess the best way to put it is we see that Like I said, Vader is just this really actually, in my opinion, in Tarkin, where Tarkin is looking at him from Tarkin's perspective, kind of position of weakness, this necessary evil kind of thing. Um, There's a certain, I think, melancholy to Vader of just the fact of. He goes where he's told. He fights the fights he's supposed to. Melancholy
1: See, is almost a good way to describe him. Yeah, he's just kind of there, and then he turns it on, and then he's just there again. He he doesn't have a
0: presence I, outside of and, intimidating or fighting. Right, and you mentioned it, and I think that uh, Thrawn's allegiance really shows that. Because it takes a long time before Thrawn and Vader have any any working relationship yeah, at first they have
1: animosity towards one another.
0: Yeah. Vader's like, I will kill you. And Thrawn's like, I don't think that's a good, good tactical move. All right, well I'll wait because my emperor told me to, now you show me your results. And if you don't, I will kill you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like that's their relationship for like the first third of that book.
1: It really, really <laughs> is. And I don't want to, you know, we're not going to spoil that book, but there is one Vader moment in there. I want to call out, um, and that is essentially... Well, actually, too, now that I think of it. Uh, Vader has a fight with the Gris, which are yes. a species from outside the known universe, on Batuu. Right. So it's a very kind of interesting mix of you know, this planet that was new at the time because of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, so it's written into this book to kind of tie it together. So not only do we get to see, okay, here's this moment that Vader has on this planet. He's got a cool kind of bar fight scene. yeah. Uh, And then um, in that same novel, uh, Vader essentially navigates hyperspace using only the Force, not using a nav computer. And I think that is a really rad moment
0: uh, in kind of the ascension of Darth Vader and his powers. Cause I think what we're finding out in these, these stories, um, cause dark Lord of the Sith is watching Vader bring an attack fleet into Ryloth to finally quell the rebellions yeah. of this. And Ryloth has done Herculean efforts with their resistance group. That's been fighting occupation since the clone wars uh, Harrison Dula's father is like the leader of this group and they do this amazing effort that when this invasion force comes, they rip it apart and they do a really good job of stopping it with asymmetrical warfare. But Vader and the Emperor who are coming on here survive. And just from those two people, they're going to lose.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you have this book that is essentially... I mean, there's kind of two stories playing out, but one of them is Vader, in all of his best efforts, trying to get the Emperor alive on this planet. And of course, the Emperor isn't actually worried, but this is the only time Vader ever sees the Emperor in sort of distress you know he needs to rescue him and this so is, vader is just sort of this tool endlessly plowing through the forest trying to get out and the emperor is just sort of sitting back by the fire you know nudging his roll cards kind of like get a load of this guy
0: well and the one thing about the emperor is this is one of the few times the emperor can't say this is all as high for no nope didn't see this one coming actually yeah, to yeah. be really honest I'm, I'm not worried but i yeah your ancient I didn't religion didn't one. Predict that missile blowing
1: your shuttle out of the sky? Did it, you old wrinkly bag? <laughs> you, you old
0: yeah. Um, yeah, but I uh-huh. mean, but what we're seeing is that the emperor, emperor is, in some ways, becoming dependent on Vader. Vader is such a useful oh, yeah. tool, and Vader has nothing yeah. to do but serve the emperor. That mm. they are a very, very yeah. good working relationship, and the emperor yeah. is slowly getting to the point of like, look. I really need you, and I respect yeah. you, and you are so freaking useful yeah. that I am currently not really planning on an, on follow-up to an apprentice. I also need you to let you know that stick yeah. around with your Inquisitors and whatever your apprentice yeah. plans are, because I also know you're also no threat to me.
1: Well, that's a classic rule of two. Oh, that's classic forced die. Oh, that's classic uh,
0: uh, uh, symbiotic circle. I don't know, do any of those well, fit? No, I I'm think just the kidding. whole point with the, um, the Sith is, the Sith are always <laughs> plotting against each other, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: they are, are always plotting and always scheming and always trying to get one off on the other. And, and whether be honest, they're trying with... to take power through force or by a dark side ritual of one passing all the spirits into another, it doesn't matter. The point is, well, they're think, always trying to one up. To be each
0: honest, other. with the rise of Skywalker adding that wrinkle to the existence, the chain of the rule of two, it actually makes more sense why it is that way. Because the Emperor's like, "No, you don't know what knowledge I have. You really have to prove you're worthy of it." Yeah. And the only reason I'll give it up is because I have, because I've given this energy, this collection of knowledge, everything I have to give. It's only when I have nothing more to provide that you will trick me, kill me, and then you will inherit this gift.
1: So is that why Sidious is ultimately, after a thousand generations, the Sith Lord who succeeds because he was able to kill his master and not just take over for his master? I think is that kind of now the analogy that's been scripted? or the-
0: I think the reality is I, I think you would say that he follows the edict of, of Bane and just happens to be the man at the right time where the world has gotten corrupted just enough mm-hmm. that he's just in the right place that when Shuv Palpatine takes the power, mm-hmm. he has the opportunity to use that power to finally mm-hmm. get the revenge that they've been plotting mm-hmm. all this time. And honestly when you really start processing in that way, it's getting even to a scarier level of at last we will have our revenge, at last we will our Ourselves to the Jedi. That is an echo of a thousand years yeah. of that desire. A thousand lords and a thousand
1: apprentices
0: wanting to f- going yeah. finally. Because if you think finally. about
1: it, they become one and the same. Yes, the master and the apprentice eventually become one. So it's, it's it's interesting. I'll, I'll
0: give it so, to you. So let's be. Let's, so let's All frame right. that back to our <laughs> narrative here, which is that the Emperor. Yeah. Vader's the best thing he has, but Vader's diminished. He's not the Jedi he was supposed to be. He's no. not the Sith he was supposed to be. No. And so the Emperor, I think, at this point, sort of betrays his own ideals going like, well, I could trust Vader to become powerful enough, one day defeat me, as all Sith look to their apprentices to do, to become crafty, to either get murdered by me. And I've tried murdering him, that's for sure. Um, but he survived all of that, so he's, he's a good boy. He's doing everything I told him. But he just doesn't have that initiative I'm looking for. I just, I don't see him killing me in my sleep like I did my master. I just don't see it. I just, I can't live in a body that mechanical. I need some blood. I, I need just, some
1: some 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 air coming in and out. You know, you know, once you
0: cut off those limbs, I mean, how many, that's thousands of chlorians you don't have access to. You just, thousands That'd of them. To be fair, that's true. Um, and so, when you have that, I think the emperor portrays his ideals and starts thinking of like, well, I could work on my apprentice or... um maybe I could just become immortal. Maybe I'll just go tinker with that. I already know how to manipulate life at some basic level. Maybe I can just start figuring out how to manipulate that. So mm-hmm. in a weird way, from the Sith perspective in philosophy, this is a very dysfunctional time because the apprentice in no serious way is going to overthrow his master. And the master in no serious way is cutting loose the apprentice to find a stronger one. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're yes. both sort of just going in stasis, and mm-hmm. for 20-odd years, it's one and two. It's CEO and COO mm-hmm. just running the galaxy. And then eventually Palpatine thinks he sees a replacement. I mean, that's... That's the hope. That's he's the, He thinks he can yeah, finally he get the, the, way the Anakin out. he wanted. Uh-huh. Uh, something pure, something younger that he can twist and manipulate even mm-hmm. more, and he's pretty excited about it. Now, the problem that's going to happen for him is that Even with all of this stuff, even at the apex of Vader just being broken inside, there's still a little spit of hope. And And... one place we see this is in the end, we just talked about this, was the end of Clone Wars, where we see at some disclosed time, probably about what we're talking about, like somewhere after his establishment, he finds himself on this unnamed moon Mm -hmm. where the Star Destroyer went down with Ahsoka. And he finds one of her lightsabers. And at that point, you, as I articulated in that episode, like, he knows, yeah. intellectually, he's like, Ahsoka's dead. No one survived this. And yeah. even if they did, they were marooned here. Yeah. They jettisoned all the escape pods. I haven't heard of her. I haven't felt her in the force. She must be gone. Yeah. But he grabs that lightsaber and he keeps it because he's yeah. still Anakin Skywalker and he still has to think that there's some way yeah. to reconnect with all these things he's lost. He still has an outgrown attachments.
1: Takes it and puts it inside of his cloak and goes, Ah, another lightsaber for my collection.
0: Right? No, you're that's, thinking you're that thinking that of that? Grievous. Oh yeah.
1: classic mix
0: up. Yeah, no. Classic mix up. Well to be honest, no, but let's just talk about yeah, it for a moment. I'm, There's a part of Anakin that's dealing with the fact of I am Grievous. Grievous is just that extra level of mechanical beyond me. But I'm doing oh, his sure. warlord stuff oh, i am
1: sure no it's the, i'm the, the boogeyman of the army not lost
0: yeah i'm the boogeyman yeah. of the army and when the army is just not hacking it or you know these troopers are too lazy i'll come in cut in half of them and say is anyone else have any protest and get the <laughs> f in there and do the job that the master asks for that's right and years go by vader masters
1: his prosthetics yeah and the next time we really
0: see him, he is chasing down some rebels on Lothal. Yeah, that's sort of where we get to the bookend of we get to learn that after the failings of Agent Callus on Lothal to rein in this insurrection, yeah. eventually it's starting to bubble up that, wait, these rebel cells from multiple groups are trying to form together. That isn't okay. Send the boogeyman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and show up he does... uh Fighting his way through a facility, uh, you know, lifting up a downed ad-ad off of, off of top of him. Uh, he really lives up to his name. And then a few seasons later, after a season later, after scaring the bejesus out of Canaan and Ezra, yes. uh, he finally learns that Ahsoka is alive.
0: Yeah, and this is after we've seen the terrible how much of a boogeyman it is The Grand Inquisitor lets himself die rather than facing dis- disappointing Vader that much. Oh, yeah. He's like, no, if I die here, I'll just, a plasma burn, I'll just evaporate in a second. Vader will not be that kind to me. No, he
1: <laughs> will not. No, he will not. And uh, while our characters, you know, the people we're seeing this story through, Kanan and Ezra don't know Vader, the other character who we now meet, Ahsoka, sure does. And Vader learns he is alive. Ahsoka learns he is alive. They go off their own separate ways. And eventually their paths recross. sort of the next time we see Mm -hmm. the main next time we see Vader. He is on. All right. I'm going to get it right. Is it Moraband now? Moraband. Used to be Korriban. Now it's Moraband, right? It's technically
0: both. Yeah. yeah, It's ancient uh, Sith name is Korriban officially. And it's current modern on star charts is Moraband. So
1: they arrive on Moraband, Aning, Kezra, and Ahsoka, uh maul is also there and a couple of inquisitors but basically we're going to skip all that because that's not the topic today they get to the end of their journey and vader arrives uh coming down on his tie uh standing on top of it uh in a really really cool oh it's so good and him and ahsoka have a fight and during that fight there is a big moment where uh, Vader's you know, helmet gets damaged from a swipe from Ahsoka, and you can see Anakin's glowing yellow Sith eyes shining through, and you hear his voice mixed in with Vader's respirator, and you have this moment where he calls out to her, and she turns, you know, thinking this is, that he's, Anakin, still, he's, he's still in still there. In there. And she basically says, you know, the 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 room is collapsing around them due to other situations. And uh, Kanan Ezra, Kanan recently blinded, trying to get out of here. And Ahsoka says, I won't leave you again. And Vader, looking her down, goes, well, then you'll die um, uh, in, a, in a little bit more menacing way than that. And they begin their fight. And in that moment... Um, the you know the room closes the door closes and we don't even get to see how the fight ends but this moment between vader and his apprentice uh her fallen teacher and at the end we know they survive but we don't know anything else about that we see vader emerge from the rubble still with his eyes shining through more damage on him looking like he's had a rough day boy do i love battle damage darth vader it's so good uh it is so good But this moment, and you've talked about this before, you're the first person who I ever kind of heard say this out loud to me, but basically when Vader learns Ahsoka is alive and when they then have this confrontation, Mm -hmm. that is potentially Vader's first step back towards the light. His first sort of moment where he chooses to you know, do take a different path than the path he was on or to yeah. understand that there are other options because his whole past life isn't dead.
0: Well, the whole thing about him is he as Vader needs to kill Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. The master would not want he's, she's a Jedi a Jedi needs to die. Yeah. Right. Order 66 is still in effect. But when she shows the Jedi a path of like, I'm not going to leave you. He's reminded of like, this is Snips. This is my <laughs> surrogate daughter. Yeah that I'm feeling something about this. I'm feeling a conflict about this, that I Darth Vader shouldn't feel this conflict, mm-hmm. but he's Anakin Skywalker. And I think visually that's why we see the eye through there is so that a can go like, you're still in there. Like literally I can see you. <laughs> um, yes. And we see through the rest of rebels. We see Vader starting to try and I, I would argue, come a little out of that melancholy and start thinking of, his own designs. What does he want? And I think at first we're getting just the the Anakin who's yelling and preaching at, at Obi Wan of like, "This gonna be my empire, I want it full of peace and justice and stuff." Like, I think he wants to maybe make the world, the galaxy, a stronger, better place. So we're kind of told that he goes after rebellions now. He sees them as a threat to the the rebels himself, not as the emperor's tool, but like he himself thinks that this rebellion is going to ruin everything. Mm -hmm. And we see that when he sees sparks of hope of that, he's trying to crush it because I think we're getting to a point where, in my opinion, Anakin's starting to get to this point of everything I've done has to mean something. I have to make this terrible set of events mean something to me because I am feeling a conflict and I need to resolve that conflict. Mm -hmm. And part of the conflict is probably the fact that I don't agree with the emperor on how everything should be run. I have my own opinions about that. Not exactly the best, (laughs) rosiest place to start, Mm -hmm. but we see that in fallen order in the place where Vader appears in fallen order, where he is, terrified of the fact of you can't rebuild the Jedi. They were the problem. They are what caused all of this. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take that list and then going to corrupt everyone on it. And maybe one of them would be a good apprentice for me to overthrow my master. Just a thought. Just a just thought. Just a thought. <laughs> and he starts looking at Ezra. He starts looking at these characters. I'm so like, maybe I can get that kid. I could corrupt that kid. Maybe I can get that ki- kid. And Maul's like, no, 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 he's mine. <laughs> and, um we keep going through these back and forths, and I think that's where we sort of arrive at the end of the dark times with this driven person who is on rogue one walking like a Frankenstein right through a quarter, slaughtering everyone saying you rebel scum, Mm -hmm. you have no concept of how much this means to me. And the second he figures out that he has family, it's like the pieces click in of like, no, this is why I've been feeling this conflict. I've been feeling this conflict because I want back what Ahsoka and Padme represented. I want some of that destiny that was has been denied me for 20 years. I want to reconnect with my son. Oh, and you use him to throw overthrow the Ember? Yes, that's what Vader thinks, but Anakin just really wants to reconnect with his son. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like yeah, totally. that person is bifurcating. And by the end of Return of the Jedi, he has exercised that part of him out you know and he's like you know i want to see you with my real eyes and it's an echo to that thing with well again reverse the scene him through the mask is yeah, you know Soka's seeing him but in return of the jedi we see this is anakin skywalker this is the person who's been trapped in this black shell for the 20 odd years finally giving up on the fact of like yes i know this will kill me and i don't care Because I'd rather live free for at least a few more minutes as the man I used to be than die in this black armor as the villain I became. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So there's a reason people think Vader is one of the greatest villains of all time because, God, is he complex and interesting. Yeah. And as the time
1: goes on, we will get more Vader stories because they will always be popular. It will always be a character people want to see more of and learn more about. And I think these Vader comics have shown us that Uh, there is some really, really great stuff in there. And of course, we've gotten Vader in a few novels and TV shows as well. So here's hoping to more, because it's one of the most exciting times of Star Wars, the
0: reign of the Empire. Yeah, and we will see more and we will know more because it's still one of the great frontiers of canon. There are at least 10 years worth of Vader stories that have nothing in them. You know what I mean? That are just danced around by the other content that we have. There's lots of time. And it, it's interesting because again, Vader, I think is the most fascinating character because he gives you the wish fulfillment of being evil. What would it like be like to have absolute power? And even if you're the most pure hearted person, there's a part of like, Oh man, just some days I just want to just choke, choke that person. That's making me (laughs) mad out. (laughs) And I can, everyone can relate to Vader on that level. (laughs) And then the other side of Vader is, he's the ultimate redemption story. He earns be going from the worst monster in the world to someone worthy of joining the Force in death. Yes. Um, and the Dark Times is mostly the first half of that. <laughs> yeah, the the evil Vader
1: that people are drawn to thro- so much, but also the most, hmm, uh, the most. Uh, how should we put this? Uh, thrilling that Vader ever is, is when he is just a tool of the dark side. It is the stuff that people want to see. He, when he is just a sort of a man on a mission and being successful, that's what gets
0: people going. Yeah. When Luke cuts his hand off in return of the Jedi, we are reminded of, Oh yeah, this wheezing dude is a 40 something man who has had immeasurable amounts of pain and trauma, (laughs) right? But when we look at the dark times, like this is a dude in his late twenties, early thirties, who is at the apex of his power and knows exactly what he needs to be, which is the most evil effort in the world. Yes. <laughs> and he owns that. Boy, does he succeed. Oh, so good.
1: It really is. Uh, I think we'll be back to revisit this one one day. I think we will too. Because again, I think we will keep getting new stories. Mm-hmm there's a lot and you know what if you're excited by this there's a lot we didn't talk about there's a whole Vader invades Mon Cala storyline mm-hmm. uh he gets the duel Joe Costa new who you might remember from episode 2 the Jedi librarian yep. so there's a whole bunch of Vader stories out there in this time that we didn't even get to touch on so check those out if you're interested highly recommend it all right want we'll to move on to something else yeah let's do something else
0: Fear, fear of this battle station will keep the local systems in line. Wolf Tarkin, zero BBY.
1: You know, famous last words, as the kids say, right? Well, I mean, not last words.
0: (laughs) Technically, technically. Execute, no, execute in a moment of triumph. Evacuate you meant to say you said i know evacuate. evacuate in a moment of triumph i think you overestimate their chances
1: but doesn't he say does, does he fire say he he f- you may fire one i don't remember if he does i know he's standing there with his like fingers up in his mouth chin area like kind of but like i
0: don't think he maybe he doesn't say that maybe I you're wanna right i want to say i want to say the last ones in our moment of triumph but i could okay. be wrong okay well i could totally way. believe i'm missing a well, Wolf Tarkin. Wolf Tarkin is but, a very quotable man because he, he is the Grand Moff, mm-hmm. the first Grand Moff. not the last, but one, the first. The Grand, original, the OG. The OG.
1: <laughs>
0: oh boy, we're yes. sold. Um So, oh, so man. the thing about that Tarkin is Tarkin. One of the reasons he gets where he is, as we find in the Tarkin novel, <laughs> is his what the media will call his doctrine. Yes.
1: Now, this is something that comes from James Lucena's novel, Tarkin. Mm. Uh, And it is essentially a moment where Tarkin is essentially, he's out, he just became the first Grand Moth, and he's out sort of on this... Interview lecture circuit type of thing and a press tour. Yeah, a press tour is a good way to put it. And he's out there sort of spreading the gospel of the Empire. Uh, you know, I was in the rebellion and now I'm in the Empire and the Empire is so much better. or The Republic. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, the Republic. Sorry, you're good. You're good. Uh, I was in the Republic. I was now. I'm in the Empire, and the Empire is so much better. It had to happen. And he gives this sort of statement, this speech okay. that the media then starts referring to as the Tarkin Doctrine. And uh, Mac, are we going to read it? Are we going to go I, through the whole thing? Do you want to read it? I mean, do I have you- it. I have the. I own this one digitally too, so I had it pulled up. Um, so <clears throat> Tarkin was quoted as saying. The factor that contributed most to the demise of the Republic was not, in fact, the war, but rampant self-interest. Endemic to the political process, our answers engineered, "...the insidious pursuit of self-enrichment grew only more pervasive through the long centuries and in the end left the body politic feckless and corrupt." Consider the self-interest of the core worlds, unwavering in their exploitation of the outer systems for resources, the outer systems themselves, undermined by their permissive disregard of smuggling and slavery, those ambitious members of the Senate who sought only status and opportunity.
0: The reason our Emperor was able to negotiate these dark waters, characterized by the terminal years of the Republic, and remain at the helm through the catastrophic war that spanned the galaxy, is that... He has never been interested in status... Or self-glorification. On the contrary, he has been tireless in his devotion to unity of the galaxy and assurance of the well-being of its myriad of populations. Now, with the institutions of the sector and the over-sector governance, we are at the unique position to repay the debt to our emperor and his decades of selfless service by lifting the burdens of the Quidditchian rulership from his shoulders by... Partitioning the galaxy into regions we actually achieve unity, previously absent. Where once our loyalties and allegiance were divided, they are now one being. Our one goal of cohesion in the galaxy is which everyone prospers. For the first time in 1,000 generations our sector governments will not be working solely to enrich Coruscant and the Cold Worlds, but to advance the quality of life for star systems that make up each sector, keeping spaceways safe, maintaining open and accessible communications, assuring that tax revenues are properly levied and allocated, improving the infrastructure. The Senate will likewise be made up of beings devoted to their own enrichment, Not to their own enrichment, but to the enrichment of the worlds they represent. The bold vision of the future requires
1: not only the service of those immaculate reputation and consummate skill in the just exercise of power, but also the service of a vast military dedicated to upholding the laws necessary to ensure galactic harmony. It may appear to some that the enactment of universal laws and the widespread deployment of a heavily armed military are steps toward galactic domination, but these actions are taken merely to protect us from those who would invade, enslave, exploit, foment political dissent, and to punish accordingly any engage in such acts. Look at our new military not as trespassers or interlopers, but as gatekeepers." Here to shore up the emperor's vision of a pacified and prosperous
0: galaxy. Those are the words of Will of Tarkin, recorded in his press tour. Wolf Tarkin is doing an amazing job of one could argue whitewashing, but I think it's actually genuinely his perspective of why the Empire was required in the bones of the Republic, mm-hmm. because. He outlines from a political standpoint the primary problem with the Republic, which was power was concentrated in the already wealthy and the already elite. The core worlds made all other regions of space serve them. And what we see here is the nobility of Chief Palpatine can be drawn up as a Person from the Outer Rims. Nubu is a prosperous, well-loved world, but it's not in the core. It's not one of the main movers and shakers, and so he can cast himself as a noble figure trying to fight for you, the little people. And the Emperor walks away from public life which fits very well for a person whose public persona is a person who doesn't want to be the center of the political discourse it's you the people the sectors and the over sector governance that are the actual things i'm just a elderly hand to guide you on this wonderful journey we're all taking to mm-hmm. a prosperous powerful government i'm weak everyone.
1: and frail the attempt on my life has left me scarred but Because of the safety of our new empire, you will all be protected. And Tarkin is sort of the voice of that, the face, the figurehead of the military
0: in pushing the emperor's propaganda. And the words they wrote in that novel are just excellent because it frames up the positive spin of the emperor Mm -hmm. and the positive spin of the empire. And it reminds us that while it's easy for us as kids who grew up watching Star Wars to go, Why would anyone let these black hat evil people rule the galaxy? When you become an adult and more nuanced and look at the political landscapes of your world and nations and other nations, and you realize how easy despotism is to actually enable, you start realizing it's all based on the idea of humans as a general course do not work against their own self-interests. So people want to believe that no matter how bad of a situation they're in, it is somehow working towards a greater good. And we have done probably more evil in our world under the banner of for the greater good than probably anything else. And Tarkin here is establishing the fact of these rich core world elites that the majority of you are not are monsters and they have betrayed you. And the entire republic is broken because of them. We are going to redraw the entire political landscape You're not planets anymore. Planets are little local governments that join a sector and then join to an over-sector. We are taking a broader picture, a more unified vision. Sure, you might think you have less representation, but do you deserve more representation? We think not. We think the core word should be one sector and that's it. Then all the other sectors can outvote them. And it shows the complexity of real-world politics by having someone articulate the noble end of what we knee jerk want to go of like, yeah, but you're the empire. So you're, you're evil. Duh. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Yes. I mean, I I, same page agree with all of it. Um, The beauty of Tarkin is that he is the sort of classic villain, the, the well-spoken gentleman. He is not overthrowing you with his physical might, but with his prowess and his brains and his cunning And having a character in Star Wars who so classically embodies that with a fantastic actor like Peter Cushing and with a fantastic uh, actor like the ILM computer that brought him to life. uh, You have this character who represents something in Star Wars that we don't get from the Emperor and that we don't get from Vader. He is a different kind of evil. And honestly, the closest we see to him really is Thrawn. Right. Thrawn kind of replaces him in a lot of ways, or did replace him in a lot of ways in Legends. Uh,
0: And and the thing with Tarkin we see is we see a person. He's just a man. mm -hmm. He's not a super Jedi. He's not a Sith. And what I think is so powerful about Tarkin is he represents a lot of the military viewpoint of we're on top because we're bringing peace and security. That's why we're doing this. We are doing this for a good and noble cause. The Tarkin is not, when Tarkin says the regional governments will have direct control over their systems, the last remnants of the Republic have been washed away. When he's talking about the dissolution of the Senate, he's not saying that because he sees democracy dying. He sees finally, we are removing the last chains from people's, clinging to that old broken way it never worked it was never good and we are finally getting fully away from that that's his own personal belief system and if you read that novel you'll find out why he has such a skewed belief system (laughs) but it it shows what most people who exist in the galaxy why they suffer imperial rule why imperial rule is good because there is a silver lining to tons of tons and tons of planets that were betrayed by the old system who are now benefiting from the from the empire, even as other worlds are being crushed under the empire. And the Tarkin Doctrine is important. The reason we're doing it as a topic is because it is the military doctrine protocol. It is a document that is pointed back towards often as, well, why are we doing this? For peace and security. To bring unity. To draw out the old ways of the Republic and give every being the chance that they deserve because they took it from you. And we are going to make sure that never happens again.
1: Um, so there is one other thing we should call out about the Tarkin Doctrine, and that's that it has its origins in yeah. Legends. So this is actually something that got brought back over. Now, in Legends, it was a little different. It was a little bit of a longer uh, thing, and it was sent directly from Tarkin to the Emperor uh, 29 BBY. So it was a little bit of a different timeline. That was back before we had well, this some are... of the other stuff
0: we have now. Max, favorite thing to reference. This comes from West End Games, The Imperial Source. Book It comes from the role-playing games, which most of the EU's basement foundation is found in that role-playing game because they have to give you details that Lucasfilm didn't you because you can't, well, what's it like being an Imperial soldier? Uh... Well, there's no guideline for that, so we're going to make some stuff up and see if the licensors say yes. They said yes, because it's the 80s. (laughs) Who cares? Um, This won't last, this franchise. No, no. But it's funny how much of that is foundational to things, because the original Tarkin Doctrine is a little more screwed up, because like you said, it's Tarkin writing a letter to the Emperor saying, like, hey, might should make right. (laughs) I'd love to say it's more complex than that. It's not. It's a silly role-playing game from the 80s. So it's a dressed-up, gussied-up version of of. Expanding Tarkin's message of fear will keep the local systems in line. The idea yeah. that a heavy military presence, a military police juta on every single planet, a stormtrooper on every street corner reminding every far flung part of the galaxy that the emperor is your master is what he's advocating because he thinks only that constant presence will keep systems in line. People can't be trusted, but if you scare the crap out of them, they will, out of fear, maintain the order you're trying to bring. And this Tarkin Doctrine, the canon one, just massages that a lot and gives it a slightly more noble purpose to justify this, because why are there militaries everywhere? Because your planet must be beholden to your sector. And your sector must be beholden to your over-sector. And your over-sector must be beholden to the Empire at large. And so it's got this upside down downward pressure government Mm -hmm. and he sold it as a good thing and it's that crushing weight which will pressurize these dissidents and crystallize them into the rebellion
1: yeah i mean we've said it before and we'll say it again now if it wasn't for the over overpoweredness of the empire and the creation of the death star and basically forcing the rebellion's hand to act because of the destruction of alderaan um you know they might not have ever inspired a galaxy-wide rebellion
0: yeah if tarkin had had restraint and not been so excited to show off his fear machine to scare people and picked A different planet for the test like if he would have just blown up Jeddah all the way like finished the job they started or blew up like someplace no one cares about like corelia it would have been different the emperor might have had the time to solidify the power people might have gotten time to get used to the death star and saying like well they're only using it because we were bad people they had to blow up Space space Detroit because they had dissonance on them. And if, as long as we don't have dissonance here, we don't have to have anything to fear from it. The tyranny of, well, if you have nothing to hide, then there's nothing wrong with people searching your stuff, right? That, that tyranny is what Tarkin is powered by, but only through his hubris. He goes and picks the only planet that everyone's like, around that's not a bad place. Why'd you, why'd you blow up Iran well, they they do. have no weapons. They're a peaceful people. It's just a bunch of like mountains and sweet tasting chocolates over there. Like who, who had a problem with Alderaan <laughs> and Darkin. the fact, and, and, <laughs> and especially when you consider the fact that when people start realizing a, the, 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 emperor did not cover it up very well. Um, mining disaster. Were they doing strip mining on Alderaan? Sure.
1: Just started. Turns out they were right, shouldn't have been doing it.
0: And when they find out, okay, well, what was the okay, I've talked to my rebel friends. They told me the real dope. What is it? Well, Princess Leia gave him a fake location, and he's like, oh, screw you. And then he just blew it up out of spite to make her feel bad. He wiped out Alderan, the place that has the best Swiss chocolates in the galaxy. He blew it up because he wanted to see a little seven or 19-year-old girl cry. Yeah, it seems real petty, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but she was a, a a traitor. I heard it was an effective demonstration of that battle station. Well, that battle station's not effective. They blew it up. I heard this farm boy kid blew it up with one proton Couldn't torpedo. Could have been
1: that effective. Could
0: have been that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. More like Tarkin just was a douche. <laughs>
1: all right well mac i think we've thoroughly exhausted. we have thoroughly
0: we've said the entire tarkin duck and we read we the whole we thing we could
1: read the legends one too but i'm not gonna do that if you're right makes right just expand that out eh, you get the gist all right let's go and talk about another thing Ever just wish you could take your anger, your hate, your sorrow, your suffering, and just pour it into a tiny little rock?
0: Just pour all of that ichor from inside in you? Just, yeah. Just mm-hmm. bleed it mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. into something?
1: Just let all that gooey anger drip out of you? Here's the thing.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I feel that way. Like, I like to just exercise that part of me. Mm-hmm. But it would only feel perfect if i pour it into something that doesn't deserve it some innocent vessel something pure mm. that i'm corrupting with all of that
1: well i think i have something you're gonna like Ooh, it's called a kyber crystal and as long uh. as you take it from a Jedi, you can corrupt
0: it so kyber crystals we talked we've talked about in our, is that our first episode Back in year one, we <laughs> talked about kyber crystals, and we established the fact that in current canon and understanding, yeah. kyber crystals are part of the living force. There is something about them that is alive. And because Sith are evil, <laughs> they want to hurt that living thing. They do. They want to take
1: their pain and their suffering and... And they want to basically give it to something else so it can feel what they're feeling and therefore serve them better. Now, we first hear about this concept of bleeding the crystal when Palpatine says to Vader, hey, you need to take a crystal from a Jedi and make it your own. And Mm -hmm. Vader, as we talked about in our first topic earns his crystal by stealing it from a Jedi and killing him for it. He then takes his crystal to Mustafar, where the Emperor has told him there is a dark side locus here. You can bleed this crystal. He dismantles Kyric's lightsaber. He takes the crystal in his hand. And as he begins to pour his anger and his hatred that he's been accumulating over these last days into it, he experiences a vision. And it's a vision of him turning from this place, leaving this hellish world, going to Palpatine on Coruscant, killing him, and then finding Obi-Wan and begging for his forgiveness. But in that moment, he snaps out of a vision of what could potentially be and realizes, no, this is the path I've chosen, and begins to continuously pour more hate into that crystal, making it shriek out in pain and eventually turn from its... Uh, you know, greenish blue hint to red.
0: It kind of gives us the idea that much like, um, you know, going to the force cave is this journey for most Jedi of, you have to face mm-hmm. some unknown about yourself. You have to see that dark reflection of yourself and dismiss it. It seems like the Kyber crystals, like general defense mechanism is like, What if you went with the more hopeful light side thing? How about that? No. Uh, Well, I tried. (laughs) Um, Because he does. He sees a chance to escape this and yet again doubles down on being what he is. And as he pours all that hate, that crystal's hue gets twisted and broken until that crystal's almost black red. Mm -hmm. And this is Vader's first true
1: own corrupted lightsaber crystal and presumably the crystal he uses continuously as far as we know
0: yeah it doesn't seem like vader loses his lightsaber as
1: often as anakin did (laughs) no he's got it like a you know go go gadget retractable string or
0: something that he can uh use to bring it back to him well and he's got a sure grip on it he barely needs to use two hands most of the time i mean he's (laughs) that's true you got a robot grip you're like okay and ratchet engage yeah no that's not going anywhere yeah
1: that's a very very fair point
0: Uh, Now, there is one other character who we have now canonly seen go through the same process, which has very firmly established of, in theory, every Red Blade has done this.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: Even though these are the
1: only two we've seen, this one comes from the Rise of Kylo Ren comic. Uh, So, you know, potential spoiler for that. Uh, Our main character, Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren at this point, has his own crystal now. Because remember, he's not a Sith. He is just a dark side force user. Uh, Yeah, he's just a fallen Jedi. Yeah, he takes his own crystal and attempts to corrupt it. But as he does, as he pours that hate into it, he actually damages it and cracks it and splits it in half. Uh, Of course, representing you know, Ben's call to both sides of the force. Right. And that is why his lightsaber has that crackling effect. And those emitters on the side, because he was not able to successfully
0: bleed his lightsaber. Yeah. When the energy hits that matrix, it does form a blade, but it's unstable. And he has to vent the extra Mm -hmm. energy out the sides. And it just represents again, who Ben is, which is why maybe Vader had to go back to Mustafar. Perhaps, dark side energy helps focus and make that ritual perform well. Mm -hmm. Now, in previous canon, these were generally referred to as the red sabers were um, synthetic. And that seems to no longer be the case. I mean, maybe it is for the Inquisitors. I doubt they all have cool Jedi lightsabers that they've corrupted because they don't get to be real Sith. Again, the rule Mm -hmm. of two is to have very well established. Yep. But the point of the matter is true Sith All the ones we've seen from Maul to Palpatine to uh, Kylo Ren, all of these folks have gone through and their lightsaber, which is a red lightsaber, isn't just the Sith lightsaber. It is a totem of the corruption of what Jedi try to be. And, oh, it's such, both those scenes are just so very well done
1: really the you know charles soul and what what some of these creators are doing in the comics really is some great stuff so if you haven't checked out the uh you know second darth vader run uh the one that takes place immediately following episode three or the rise of kylo ren comic miniseries highly
0: recommend both of those well worth checking out and if you want to get your own corrupted crystal <laughs> you can go to batu and pay whatever it is twenty dollars for one and <laughs> then you too can have your hate and villainy poured into a small crest, small little piece of
1: glass. Mm -hmm, You can. And if you're lucky, maybe someday some Jedi will come along and take it from you and purify it. But that's something we'll talk about to say We haven't
0: actually... We don't know if that's possible, do we? No, we do, because Ahsoka does it. Oh, that's
1: right. She does. I take that back. You're right. We do. Um, So, yes. But... You know, we'll save that till there's a little bit more uh, fodder in that canon for us to, you know, for us yeah, to unpack that's
0: for another day. Yeah. Alright, I I need to go take a shower. We've been talking about a lot of evil today. Oh yeah, you feel kind of gross over there. I feel there. a
1: little, yeah, a little unseemly. I get it, I get it. It's been a very evil-feeling day in a lot of ways. Um, the dark side presence is strong. We might have built this on top of a cave everything. or something. It really does. It's funny how that works. Um, This was a fun one. It's nice to talk about some good topics that we... uh, You know, the Tarkin Doctrine, that was a fun one we don't normally think about. What a fun uh, little tidbit pulling from James Lucena's book. And you know I'm a sucker for anything that has been uh, legends and has been brought back into canon. I always like those little tidbits.
0: And, And something like that represents the correct journey of like, hey, this is a good idea. Let's just polish this up into something that's more of a 21st century view of it. Yeah. And we'll end up with something that really sticks and makes star Wars a place for sure. And it makes our job that much
1: more fun because yes. we get to try and figure out the differences. And, uh, you know, that was one I didn't know. I remembered it from the book, from the Luceno book, but I didn't remember
0: or know it from legends at all. Yeah. Uh, and I, and, and I did. Um, but that's just cause that was the target doctrine was very much just the, yeah. uh, you know, Hey, team evil. This is, this is our motto. <laughs> um, yeah. and then, talking about red blades and just sort of getting into that new little wrinkle that's going on mm-hmm. in uh current canon which is still really new all things yeah, considered a um and the ever evolving story of early Darth Vader mm-hmm. and just where he's coming from it's it's a story that's going to keep on opening up and be wider and vaster and more complex as we go but even all, I I I feel that like there was a floodgate of this information like right when uh episode 3 came out there was that At the time, now Legends novel. Mm, uh, Dark
1: Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader.
0: Yeah, I think about that, and I'm like, That that was great. It was. But I feel like even right now in canon, thanks to especially things like Rebels and stuff, I feel we have more can- canon information about Vader in that time than we did EU oh, for sure, that time.
1: For sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that that book is a sort of, uh, if you want a Legends novel to read, highly, highly recommend it. Um, yeah. But that, that novel is essentially the equivalent of what this comic book run we were talking about is.
0: Comic um, run is very a, much a canonization yeah. of the best parts of that yeah. and a reconfiguring of what we... What we now consider is should, now that we have Clone Wars, we know where he should end up at that time.
1: For sure. For sure, yes. Uh, Fun episode. Yeah. yeah. I uh Nothing new in the world. Of, I mean, anything new? I mean, I've been, I'm playing Squadrons
0: a little bit, but not really ready I, to talk about my opinions on uh, it yet. I have made a short-sighted decision to upgrade my uh, VR rig, which nice. is already more trouble than it's probably worth but <laughs> as soon as I get that running I'm looking very forward to playing Squadron the way it's
1: meant to be played oh I have no argument there I'm sure it's going to be great it's, um,
0: it's going to be pretty amazing
1: I hope you enjoy
0: and uh, <laughs> and and now we're just on that very uh, you know we're, we're only a couple days away from the Mandalorian season 2 and, and oh my god on the day this releases we mm-hmm. will only be 9 days away We've never been closer. This is the closest we've ever been. (sighs) Till then, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.